0: Don't this Maybe this, time, time, this, time, this, time, this time, this time, this time, this time, this is time, this time, time, for time, this time, this time, this time, this time, this time,
1: What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Chris Hampton. Welcome to episode. Honestly, I have no idea what episode it is, and I'm just going to stop trying to keep up with it. We're almost 250. We'll pass it before I know it. So welcome to the Power Company podcast brought to you by powercompanyclimbing.com. I am still sitting on a rooftop in downtown Chicago, very windy downtown Chicago, which has been amazing. I've spent my mornings out here drinking coffee and preparing for a day of going to art museums and just exploring the city with my daughter, my granddaughter and my wife. And it's been fantastic. I needed The time away from small town Wyoming. This has been perfect. It's overcast, gray, drizzly, windy, loud, everything I needed it to be. Many of you have heard of the Climb United Route Name Task Force Uh, when it was announced that this was going to be a thing. uh, The community uproared i don't know that there's another way to say it um, lots of opinions flying around and rightfully so um, this is a community and uh, we we should be engaging in these things today's guest cody cameron is the director of climb united i had not met cody before this conversation uh, we sat down in the courtyard at the front. In Salt Lake City, also with my friend Mario Stanley, who you'll hear in here as well. And a quick look at Cody's LinkedIn profile reveals this bio Lives by simple beliefs, advocate for the underrepresented and oppressed, use your privilege with honor, and be aggressively kind. More than anyone I've ever met, Cody lives by these words. He's a passionate advocate for what he believes in, somehow without coming off as pushy. And as soon as I saw his name announced as director for this initiative, I knew I needed to talk to him. So, let's get into it.
0: You don't don't
2: don't make a decision to be happy and to be hopeful and be joyful then you're not going to seek those things out, those moments, those peoples, those communities, those areas that allow that for you. This
0: time time time
1: Cody, I was I was listening to some of your old podcast episodes. Um And I listened to your New Year's episode that was like, came out on like January 7th, 2020. And it was so full of hope and love and excitement for what was coming. Have you held on to that through 2020?
2: That's such a good question. Yeah, I have. I have because. You know, I think the pure joy and privilege to be part of the climbing community really gave me a lot to hold on to, and gave me a lot of folks to look to for hope. Um, you know, and I think the shortest way I can put that is, there are a lot of examples of inspiration. I think in this community, folks who have been around for a while, have been doing this sport for for a long time, who have overcome a lot to be able to continue to be part of the community. And, uh, it's cool to have stories like that, um, in our sport and have those folks still be around and to get to meet them and talk with them and and get to know them. I think it helps a lot.
1: Yeah. It, you know, when I, when I listened to it, I got the feeling that we're just meeting for the first time. Yeah. And I got the feeling from listening to that episode that it would continue, you know that that there was a sincerity, a an authenticity to that that hopefulness, that had taken into account all of our failings as a community, all of our um, all of the amazing parts of our community, and had just accepted that this is the community. And you were already at that time searching for a change that that so many people have just started looking for in the last year. Where did that search come from? Where did the hope of a change come from prior to the pandemic, the... You know, the the Black Lives Matter movement becoming a bigger thing. Where did that come from?
2: You know, I've always had a growth mindset, even before I knew the term and was able to call it that. As a kid, I don't want to go back too far and take too much time. But, you know, as as a youngster growing up in a transracial family, as a transracial adoptee, there was always this sense that like, I didn't know my history, my lineage, right? Like you go to a family reunion, which were big, uh, where I grew up and in the family I grew up in, and everyone could talk about like, oh, it's great that my sister Emily looks like, you know, my parents, or you can see the resemblances. And I didn't have that. And so instead of like be down about that, I decided, well, I can recreate my own story time and time again, because I really, I don't have a backstory. And so, I think when you're always looking to grow and to change, you're always hopeful, right? There's always something that I don't want to say is necessarily better, but this different and that can allow you to learn new lessons, understand Mm -hmm. the world in a different way, understand yourself in a different way and how you navigate the world and what that looks like and, and redefine what success might be. It could be that I try this thing. I try out this career, this style of climbing, something like that. And then I move on and I find something different. Um, and then to kind of like directly answer it, maybe in not such a poetic, rambling way. Um, I like your poetic rambling, though, oh, by I the way. I appreciate that. Thank just you. Just so you know. <laughs> um, you know, I have had um, experiences in my life, for example, um, my divorce, um, some pretty traumatic climate accidents that I had to find hope because you're only existing in darkness. When things are really 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 bad mm. and if you don't make a decision and i hate to make it sound this simple because it's not but if you don't make a decision to be happy and to be hopeful and be joyful then you're not going to seek those things out those moments those peoples those communities those areas that allow that for you um, so it has to be a very intentional choice but also a very vulnerable choice to say i'm not happy i'm not doing the right thing and i have to learn how to be okay with that Otherwise, I can't find what the right thing. And if I see the right thing, I might not even recognize it if I'm not aware of it.
1: Yeah, I love that. Um, there's, you know, when you're coming into a, a new community, when did you start climbing? Only five, between five, and six years ago. Okay. I thought it was relatively recent. Yeah. You know, in comparison to my, I've been here for a hundred years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, But when you're coming into a new community, I think oftentimes there's not an immediate like, oh, I want to change this community. It's more I want to fit in with this community. And I think that sort of assimilation is very often a survival technique, you know, Um, a way to want to feel a part of something. Why, what made you feel like I, I, I know I can change this community. I want to help change this community. I want to lead this community into change instead of maybe this isn't the community I thought it was and doing the work is just going to be too much. Deep
2: cut right away. (laughs) I, um, I had already assimilated in my life as, uh, an Asian American, I had assimilated really hard until my 20s. It ended in terrible relationships, terrible relationship with myself. Um, and, and a lot of just really toxic practices in my life. Um, and I just felt disconnected from my ostensible identity. Right. And so, you know, going through that, it showed me, like, how damaging assimilation is. So if you get into a community, right, if, you know, going into climbing, um, there are these strange assimilations you make, no matter who you are, I feel like, when you first start climbing, you have to go buy the right clothing. You start researching the brands, spend right. a lot of money on making sure everything's right, like, gates out, gates in, like, how do you climb, <laughs> right, all these things. Yeah. And then, and then you look around you, and, and you start to see that there are a lot of folks who who come from varied backgrounds, whether that's seen or unseen, right? And and they're starting to almost clump themselves into smaller communities, which is great. We're finding folks that that have the same lived experiences, but we're losing something. It was when, when Sam Crossley mentioned to me that, you know, him not being able to talk to people about being gay, that they missed a chance to learn something about him. Yeah. That resonated so deep because if, if, if we don't try to bring the community together and say like, Assimilation is not the answer. Understanding our differences and embracing those is the answer. If we don't do that, we miss the opportunity to learn something about one another. And I mean, we're, we're at the crag. We're in the gym. We're sharing ledges. There's so many opportunities. Like the three of us would not be sitting here if it weren't for climbing. And if yeah. we don't lean into that and say like, hell yeah, this community is inclusive, but we can be better, then we're missing, we're missing such an opportunity, I think, to lead for the outdoor industry and for our communities and be better neighbors and citizens and, and coworkers and, and so on
1: it's so it's interesting and um, warms my cold little heart a little bit that somebody who's five five or six years in is willing to care enough about this community to take that role to to want to lead into frankly scary places to to try and usher in a a different type of change. Um, As somebody who's been in this industry for a hundred years, I could very easily fit in with the old guard who's not willing to change, you know, or I can try to fit in or try to be a part of the, the new age and, and trying to usher in change. And I think I'm only comfortable going to the side of the new age because I've been around so long. I don't know if I would have the, I don't know if I would be sturdy enough five years in to say, I want to lead this. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I commend you well,
2: hugely for that. I, I, I appreciate that because my biggest fear um, is that yeah, folks in the old guard would be like, fuck this guy. (laughs) Like he's not been around long enough. He's not seen enough of this to know how it works. Um, And and I've had some indicators that that's not the case. And I've had some indicators that that is the case. Sure. Um, Mm -hmm. But you know, I'm of that mind where it's like, you don't enter a room just to leave because you don't like the conversation that's happening Mm -hmm. in there. Mm -hmm. And I came into this sport full on. I mean, I just jumped right in and You know i've only been climbing five years but the volume i've been able to climb because of my socioeconomic privileges has been much more than five years it was just endless amounts of climbing um since the first day i went to a gym and so i was able to see a lot of community and be a part of things that i don't think a lot of folks who have only been around five years have been able to be um so hopefully that lends me a little bit more um i don't want to say agency but at least experience yeah but yeah that's That's definitely a personal concern I have is, yeah.
1: Can we, can we talk a little bit about Climb United and what it is, how it came to be? And we've got Mario Stanley here. You're on the, are you on the board? Uh, I was part of the the task force. So that was, Mm -hmm. I,
0: I believe that was what it was. It was the task force and it was mainly asking my thoughts, my opinions, Um, They would bring they would bring forth proposals. We would read them right back about them. And so it was interesting and kind of see this whole process work out. I want to piggyback on something you said, though. And this is just my personal opinion. Maybe not that. But like haters are always going to hate. So fuck those people anyway. So you just go on with your bad self because there's always going to be haters. And no matter what, even allies, people that you like, someone's always going to be there to hate. So I admire you and I'm inspired. So I just want to say that.
2: Well, I feel the same way about both of you sitting right here. I mean, that's the thing, like, right. I mean, I know it's an old adage, but if people don't hate you, you're not pushing hard enough.
0: Amen to that. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I I don't want to live by that for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So there was a, you know, a big controversy necessarily, Started um, this past summer 2020 about root names that are offensive versus oppressive, um, racist, sexist, whatever it might be that um, that offends a group of people. And immediately it became this conversation that was damn near impossible to have. Because it's so hard to parse out what's offensive, what's oppressive, where do we draw that line? Are we, you know, are we blocking people's freedom of speech? Are we, you know, what's what are what's happening here? And it's such a tricky conversation. And when I saw that there was a what was initially called a task force, I think that term has been removed is that right uh we're still calling it the task force actually yeah okay so when there was when I saw that there was a task force created I was like wow this is a massive undertaking but I'm so glad that somebody is doing it is trying to do it and in watching the the first kind of town hall that you did on YouTube. I saw it on YouTube. Um, it was, you know, you, Nina. Um, uh, Matt Samet, Fred Knapp, and then Mitsu Wasaki. Matt, Mitsu, yeah. So quite a few big voices, thoughtful voices in there. It occurred to me that if I were in the position of any of those people, I don't think I could be... I would like to think I could be, but I'm not so sure I could consider other people's opinions on it as much as everyone on that board did. Because I have such strong opinions of my own, you know, and I'm sure you have strong opinions of your own. How are you trying to draw that line? Not where are you drawing the line, but how are you personally taking in and disseminating all this information to be able to draw the line between offensive, oppressive, what means what, what should get changed. How's that look? I know this is the giant question,
2: but. Yeah, no, it is. Um, And first I do want to say, I appreciate, you know, the comment about the way that everyone that was part of that panel was able to kind of conduct themselves um, and not kind of was able to conduct themselves It really makes me happy to hear that because that's kind of an element of Climb United that we want to bring every time we show up to have a conversation and that we have done so much work behind the scenes and had so many conversations across our differing opinions, which, um, and Fred would be fine with me sharing this because we're open about it. He and I met in pretty utter disagreement with one another on how to go forward with these things. And there was a point where I thought, oh, shit. I don't know if we're going to be able to do this. And after several, you know, multi-hour long phone calls, we were making plans to climb together, which we we did, ended up doing that when I was out there, um, out in Colorado. And uh, that's that's what we're trying to bring in, is that ability to listen authentically, or excuse me, to be authentic and listen to one another. and have those really, really tough conversations. I know people like to talk about mm-hmm. like the, your growth edge or the hard conversation, but these conversations are fucking hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they are tough. I'm sure. And, and like you said, yeah, like all of us sitting here have really strong opinions. And so like trying to determine what that line is, for me it has been a lot of understanding what someone's like the root cause of their thinking is. Now, for example, if we're trying to like determine what's offensive versus what's discriminatory, there is information that lends itself to that. But then there are folks who will say, well, they're one and the same. Words don't have meanings. And so mm. it, it's having those conversations with people that are, exist on, on polar opposites. For example, I was talking to some people after the route named Town Hall that completely oppose this work and they think that folks should be able to say anything they want and that words don't have meaning. Yet when I asked them, okay, would you use these words? Like, well, I wouldn't do it. Like, so there you've now admitted that it has a meaning that you don't want to be held to. Right. Um, you know, and they, they leave that conversation because they mm-hmm. know that they're kind of talking shit. And then you get to the fact that they want to protect free speech, which I'm like, okay, now that's a real conversation. And so it's, it's almost like little tests along the way and like those data inputs of like, what would somebody be willing to say and what would they not? And most of those words are... On the list of discriminatory words, even people who are against this work are like, well, I, I would never use that. Like, So there's like right. one little piece of data that suggests that this word is, in fact, oppressive or discriminatory. Um, if we want to talk about offensive, that's, well, we could probably talk for years and get nowhere on that. That's yeah. a whole different thing.
1: Right. So currently, is the task force thinking that offensive routes should stay but oppressive or discriminatory routes should be considered for change
2: yeah that's exactly right right now our stance Mm -hmm. is that we should rethink discriminatory route names and offensive unfortunately are going to have to be left just to public Um, and there are organizations that we've been talking to um, that are dealing in that they're gathering public information folks can submit a route and explain why it's offensive. Um, and and they'll put that into a cycle of review. Um, we're not part of that, but we certainly are, are starting to engage with those people and, and see what that looks like and if there's ways that we can support their their cause. One thing I appreciate that came
1: out in that town hall was the, the clarification of, you can name a route whatever you want to name it. Um, nobody's saying don't name your roots these things they're saying we want to hold our publishing of these names um, whether it's online in print form to a higher standard uh, for the sake of the community so if you and your friends want to call it whatever you want to call it go for it we are going to Put in place some form of protection for the members of our community, who, who might be discriminated against by this name. And I think that's really important for people to keep in mind.
2: Yeah, I, I you summed it up perfectly, um, and I'm glad we're recording, so I'll probably steal that and put that in, in print somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> um. Borrow it, I should say. Borrow it, <laughs> but uh, free, but yeah. free to borrow. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah, we're we're certainly not telling people how to think, what to think, what to what to say. Right? Uh, it's just allowing uh, or encouraging, maybe allowing or encouraging. Not the right words. Um, trying to find the right word right now. You know what? I'm not even going to try You said it perfectly. I'll just botch it. <laughs> <laughs> you can cut that rambling out or not. You can leave it in. I'm, I'm good with either.
1: <laughs> no, I, th- you know, I've, I've read a lot of the comments on Instagram posts, Facebook posts, and I've seen them on my own posts. You know, um, the internet can be a really toxic place, yeah. um, when anyone can just say anything, hit a button, and not think about what they're saying, um, they're just reacting. But I think there, those, those posts, those comments, those immediate reactions do give us a lens into what the greater community, maybe not the greater community, but what a, a portion of the community thinks, feels like, where they... How they hold the, you know, air quotes history in, you know, in a certain place in their heart, in their life, you know, whether, whether we think it's misplaced or not. And a lot of people think we're trying to erase history by suggesting names are changed. Um, thoughts on that?
2: A lot. Um I I think you hit it on the head when you said air quotes history. Yeah. Right. Because if we, if we really as a community want to go back in history, then everything that's ever been named would have to be rechanged. It would have to go back to the indigenous land. Right. Landowners. Right. The folks who have been here before any of us were even Mm -hmm. a thought. And these, these areas have, they have indigenous names these rocks are sacred they're ancestral they are ancestors i mean there are so many things that we could go back to and and i i'm probably not even getting all of that accurate um, because i'm not as educated on this conversation and, as i need to be um and that's in process mm-hmm. but um you know we're, we're not you know to put it back into the lens of of route names in climbing as they stand right now in our modern time we're not you know stripping the first ascensionist of the work or or the you know if they weren't the same person that bolted it we're not taking any of that away we're certainly not changing the history of the sport or activity by suggesting and asking folks if they would like to change a name we're simply ensuring that everybody who was part of the sport today that we're fostering a more welcoming community mm-hmm. um, because it is already if you ask me quite inclusive and quite welcoming which means we can get there in our lifetime and, and we can be that beacon for other communities to say all right instead of like that whole that old thing of like well the next generation might get it right like i'm like fuck that shit like we're gonna get it right now so the next generation could just enjoy this and not deal with this bullshit that we've had to live with um you know and i loved your post about and I'm, it, i can't think of the name of the boulder but you talked about like i look forward to when the rain washes the chalk off yeah and the name gets lost and somebody else gets a first ascent and yeah. they rename it like I, I don't even awesome. remember what the name of the boulder was at this point. <laughs> Which so. I think it, like totally supports this perfectly. So. <laughs> but I think that's exactly right. You know, like it, it, there's just so much more to it. And and the history is like the friendships, the the successes you've had, what it taught you, what it helped get you through, what the community got you through. Mm-hmm. At least in my mind. Um and and I don't know. I think we also have to ask. You know, when we look to to folks who who came before us, are we celebrating the right aspects of those people, and are we celebrating the right people? Um, right. Yeah.
1: I've been I've been talking with my climbing partners a lot lately, um, working on a new podcast project, and I am a my gut reaction, my initial reaction is that I'm a fan of. Stripping away is the wrong word. Um, not putting so much value on what the first ascensionist, their choices, what they said, what they did, where they put the bolts. Um, we as a community put a lot of emphasis on how did the first ascensionist do it? What was their style? Where did they place the bolts? How did they place the protection? Where did they, how did, what was their hand positions when they started this boulder? Mm -hmm. And they're just people. They make mistakes just like we do. There's no reason to hold First Ascensionists up on this giant pedestal as if somehow they've been blessed with the ability to make better decisions than all the rest of us. I personally feel like if we were to get at the heart of the matter of changing root names making it all more community friendly and i know this is a very unpopular opinion we could strip away some of that that value we place on the first ascensionist you guys aren't really talking about that and at first i was like oh i wish they would talk about this but then i'm like you know what As soon as I I would say that in a public forum, there's going to be a division line drawn immediately with like four people on my side and 500 people on the other side. (laughs) Yeah,
0: There's people who do it for recognition. I mean, I look at myself sinking in bolts and I personally really don't care. Like the thing that matters to me is the experience of someone coming up and saying, oh, I climbed this route. I'm like, oh, cool. What did you think about this? Did you do this way? But Also, I think about the people who taught me how to do this and recognition matters to them. Like They do this because, you know, I I think of I don't know. I'm not going to say their names because I'm not sure if I'd actually have permission to say this, but I'll tell the story. It's like they talk about being a poor kid and not really having a lot. But like when they finally learned how to start bolting, granted they were buying hardware from like loads or Ace. I guess Ace Hardware store was the only thing around in the '70s. So, uh, and just sinking in bolts, and this is how that like this was the thing that like helped catapulted them into being able to climb, into meeting the Codwells, into doing all this stuff. So like there's been there's been this precedent of like, you know. Bolting is the next stepping stone. If like if you're not going to go pro, which majority of us are not, then bolting and establishing these roots was the next step to like getting into that sponsorship or megastar or whatever it is. And I think there's been two camps. There's like there's a minority camp that is that way, but they're usually the loudest. And I think there's been a majority camp, which I believe I fall into. Like, I just. I just want to put routes up because I want people to climb them and I want people to be able to have fun and enjoy them. And I just want to talk about this shared experience and I want kids and people in the future who come after me to be able to rock climb. So that's like, that's fundamentally what matters more than anything else. But this other camp, like I, I, you're right. There is a division line for sure. And I think the problem is, is the reason why the 5,000 are on the other line is because this is what, this is this other campus TikTok. it has no value it has nothing else it's just a bunch of dancing but they are still things that people like and this other thing is like you know like i don't know any other example to use but like reddit which is a toxic wasteland in itself but it's really open like all, all like all truths get laid out and so the problem with it is is how do you take away without disenfranchising or without belittling the group that believes that this is their stepping stone into going to where they need to go and show to the other 5,000 that like, like this isn't a thing, like whether these people were here or not, these routes would still be established. This would still be a thing. However, because you are idolizing these people, we are, we are persisting this problem and that allows them to have this bad behavior. I think Mm -hmm.
1: you hit on it there and, you know coming from a strong hip hop background i think my method of disagreeing has very often been to belittle yeah mm-hmm. um to make your stance seem like it doesn't matter uh huh um
2: and i'm learning to do better um so that, I, I think you're right that's that's very difficult to be able to do, right? Like, especially when it's something that we feel very personally strongly about and we know we have places we wanna go on our journey. And, you know, in a similar example, what you're talking about, like developing, I was out with a group, we're developing some boulders and I've, I've done a little bit of both, boulders and, and routes. And it was interesting, this group that was, you know, we're looking at these high alpine boulders and in a particular area up in Wyoming. And, you know, the we varied from like V, Four to V13 plus climbers, and we looked at this rock. And some folks were like, "Oh, it's a great warm-up rock." I'm like, "Oh, cool, <laughs> right?" Like, <laughs> right. I thought that might be a lot harder than a warm-up. And we you know, we mapped out what the moves might look like. We wire brushed, start cleaning it up, and everybody in the group there were five of us all went up a different way, all got to the exact same last hold, but you know, used the holds differently, moved our bodies differently, or maybe threw in an extra couple. And we're like, sick. Cool. (laughs) Like we're not going to demand how it should be done. We Mm -hmm. agreed that it's X grade no matter what, but it was still like, you know, watching that it's like, we're we're not dictating. You have to start just like this and use this side, pull this certain way. And your foot has to be here. It's like, it, this is a stone that we are out here as friends climbing for the first time, which felt really fun for all of us. And to see that varied style, and then we actually came into a name as a group and it took a couple of days to come with these stupid names for these things that, I mean, names aren't stupid. We came up with stupid names. Right. Right. But it was, uh, yeah, it was just, it was, it was a really cool example of what this can be.
1: Yeah. I think, I think you just laid out the best possible metaphor for all of this. You know, we all start in the same place. Mm-hmm. We all end in the same place and we all get there differently and it's something I've had to really learn how to do over the last few years. And I've had some really amazing mentors, um, Betty from Brown girls climb, um, Shelma from flash Foxy Mm -hmm. who've really helped me learn that my experience isn't the only experience and that I should, I should learn to value the fact that other people have different experiences. I may not, know their experience. I may not be able to relate to their experience at all. But that's not important. What's important is that they are having a different experience than I am. So I can't I can't look at the solutions or or even what the problems are through only my lens anymore. I have to understand that other people see a different problem and if they see it then it's real and it exists. And and I think that's an important thing for a lot of people to keep in mind. That's tough to keep in mind.
2: Man, I really appreciate you saying that. I think that is, you know, in conversations I've had with people who, you know, have outright said like this, the whole Climbing United program is laughable, that, you know, I should quit, that the program should be kiboshed already, that the inability of them to acknowledge that people have different lived experiences yeah. is, is mind boggling. And, and I'll be very honest, it, it's it's great with you in your position in the community to have you say that because I have to be com, I have to compartmentalize those conversations and use them as right. data points, but you right. know, it personally, it it's very hurtful. It sucks to sit across from someone and think, you know, we could potentially be friends. We both love this sport. We could go climb after this, right? But then for them to say shit like that, I'm like, oh, well, that's not gonna happen, <laughs> right? yeah, like, you know. And so it, it's very encouraging, mm-hmm. um, you know, that you are. Vulnerable enough to say that, you know, on, on a recording to the public, to the community.
1: It's really, when I watched the town hall and I, I was watching you specifically, um, in preparation for this conversation, it would be very easy to think that you are this ninja level stoic that, That doesn't get hurt by these conversations. How in the hell and why in the hell would you want to subject yourself to that for for
2: this? I'm a staunch believer that you use privilege with honor. And this Mm. is me using my privilege with honor. I, I consider myself white adjacent because of how I grew up and there are folks out there who are hurting in ways that i'll never ever understand or feel an ounce of and they shouldn't have to be exposed to this and so you know in a non-toxic like i can shield it's simply that i can compartmentalize and i think that gives me a duty to do this and then you know i'll filter out the hurts and such in my own time when it's right but for now it's it's definitely ensuring that i i stand for well i don't want to sorry that I show up for people that, that should, you know, be trying to find more joy in their lives. That's, that's maybe my favorite phrase
1: I've heard. um, In trying to understand my own role in, in all of this is use your privilege with honor. That's brilliant. Uh, I don't know if you got it from somewhere, but if it's yours, or if you got it from somewhere, pretend it's yours. Um,
2: I, you know, Bob Dylan said he kept his hair really big because there are just these incredible songs always floating around the world. So I just figured it somehow, like, landed in my brain. No words are ever just mine. So. Nice. Amazing! I love it.
1: That that brings up something I didn't intend to talk about, but I'd like to to move into a little bit, and that's there are a lot of. A lot of people who are loud on the internet in both camps. And, and I appreciate that. I'm glad they're out there. Um, it lets me see what's happening on both sides. And I've talked to quite a few white or white passing or white adjacent people who get really scared by the fact that they're not doing enough or they don't know what to do because there are people who are loud that they think are saying to them, you should be doing more. If you're not doing this, you're not doing it right. If you're not doing this, you're not doing it enough. And as somebody who is trying to use my privilege with honor, I've felt that, you know, I, but I, I keep in mind, they're not talking directly to me. I'm, I'm feeling away because I saw their words, you know, and I need to examine that, but it's on me. And I think that's the important part of it. Do you feel like you're using it with honor? Um, not everybody is built to, to do this job you're doing. Not everybody could do it, not everyone should do it, you know? And I think we should be using our privilege however we're built for.
2: Agreed. Agreed. Amazing. I I think that's an important distinction to make because, you know, saying something like use your privilege with honor, it speaks to some people, right? And I certainly don't want it to seem like I'm trying to tell everybody who has privilege out there, like you're not doing enough. Um, Yeah, and it doesn't mean
1: suit up and jump into battle.
2: You know, (laughs) that's not what it means. Exactly right. It has to be authentic to you and whatever that means, and, and, you know, you use the word loud. I, that's kind of like one of my my privileges, is I always made the joke in school, like, if the teacher asks for an answer, like, there could be a kid that started talking three seconds before me, but the second I started talking, they're like, oh, yeah, Cody was first. It's because I'm just fucking loud, <laughs> right? yeah. So, uh, like, well, okay, I can use that.
0: <laughs> um, I want to kind of throw something in here for Cody. So, It really resonates with what you just said, Chris, with me, because I've always, you know, in this whole discussion of racist root names, minorities, everything that I've always been pretty blessed with two things. One, pretty thick skin. And I've always, my dad always taught me, you know, he was like, if someone's racist, just make racist jokes. They'll think you're funny. And then they won't know what to do. And so that's kind of that. And then Uh, and so that's always allowed me to have thick skin. And then I've always been really blessed to be around people that want the best for me. And I've met a lot of people in that situation. Devin and I even talked about that. Like people have brought us into this thing, but like, and I struggled with this a lot too. And I still do struggle with this because I'm personally someone who feels like I should be more in the fight. I should be more involved, but I'm also a very tactical person. Like I, my bandwidth is, I have a big bandwidth. But I want to pack a I want to pack a strong punch, not just shoot a buckshot. Mm-hmm. So if someone's listening to this, you know, how is there any like books, resources, or thoughts, or just even just maybe like even like a train of thought that you would recommend someone wanting to step out because that is a big problem that I do talk to people about. Like they're like, well, I feel like I'm not doing anything, and everyone is just loud on the internet, and now I'm just this one person that is not doing a thing. And in reality, I tell them like, no one knows that you're not doing a thing, but you know, so it bothers you. And so like, how would you recommend or what would your thoughts be for someone who like, wants to get into this fight, but, but is kind of just bewildered at what to do?
2: I think that it starts by finding your personal ally. And that's somebody who can hold you accountable to being authentically you when you show up in these conversations, these mm. spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's a huge privilege. Not everybody has that. And so if you don't have that person that you can look to and say, I know they're going to call me in on things because they care, then you got to mm-hmm. do it to yourself. And, and there's so many resources out there that people can find and read and, and books they can seek out. But, but I think it starts with asking yourself, really hard questions like for example the thick skin comment right like i consider myself very much the same way because how i grew up like i have very thick skin but i also have to ask do i just stop there because you know it's easy people say like oh if if this hurts your feelings get thick skin it's like well to me that's a snake in the grass who's lying around there waiting for something to come up that they can poke you know throw like stones at rather than saying well i've got thick skin so i can take it and i could show up in with a bigger punch right Um, then just, you know, seeing the world go by and saying, well, I won't let it hurt me. Um, and then, you know, like you said earlier, like asking yourself, like if you hear something, someone saying folks aren't showing up, if that triggers you ask yourself why? And you, and you said exactly that, like you had to look at yourself, say, why is it that like, you know, I feel this is hitting me. Um, and I think that that's how people can start to tease out how they can show up, how they can gather a big punch as opposed to, like I said, buckshot, just, you know, Big white choke <laughs> sending a bunch out there into the world. Yeah. Um, and choke, sorry, shotgun reference. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. No, we, we pick up what you're putting down. <laughs> I figured you too did. I want to make yeah. it you know, for, for folks listening. But yeah, I think it's just really looking inward, but doing it yeah. with tough questions.
1: Yeah. I think you have to, you know, uh, just as an example, I get because I've been vocal. Um, on my platforms, I get five to 10 messages every week of somebody saying, you should be reposting this. You should be talking about this. Yeah. And, and I don't wanna discourage anybody from sending me those messages. Um, first mm-hmm. off, I appreciate that people value my voice and my position enough to send me those messages. But I'm not going to repost every one of them. Yeah. I'm that's not It's not the way I do things. I I've taken a long hard look at where my voice can be best used and how it can be best used. And I am not a rapid fire shooter. I would rather drop a bomb on you, you know? Mm-hmm that's that's the way i want to operate so i'm not i'm not a i'm gonna share a million stories about this stuff i'm gonna save it up i'm gonna talk to somebody who really knows what they're talking about because i don't if you're sharing it with me and i don't know about it i don't know about it Mm -hmm. so i want to talk to someone who does i want to put it out and in an hour long nuanced conversation Mm -hmm. that can help people understand um so that's what I've done. I, I looked inward. I, I said, how is my voice best used? How do I feel good about it being used? That's what I'm going to do. And I'm not going to give in to the peer pressure. I will, I will take a look at everything everyone sends me. I will consider it. But if it doesn't fit what I've decided is the way I'll interact with this, then I just won't do it. You yeah. know?
2: Well, and I love that you said voice and talk because imagine... If we all held conversation the way that we use Instagram, for example, in conversation we just reposted or like reiterated words we heard all day, it'd be so messed up. Yeah, it would just be everybody saying, "You don't know what the fuck you're talking about." Exactly. God. Oh my god. Yeah, social media has in in all of the benefits of it it's really fucked up like public discourse and the way we talk and don't talk to one another. It's made it quite challenging in some ways. I think you hit
0: the nail on the head there. Don't talk. Cause that's the thing that happens the most. Like most people just image meme this, but don't talk. And you had mentioned it, uh, last night when you were talking to Pete, but like silence is the most, I, I grew up playing classical cello and viola. And so, and the most powerful part of any song is when the whole orchestra goes quiet. That's the most powerful part. And I think the problem with it is, is, it's like we're not using that tool strategically. And like you talked about dropping a bomb on that, we've used different references, but I think it's so hard and it's so much work to be really tactical. But this whole problem is a tactical problem. You can't, this is not a sledgehammer situation as much as we'd like it to be. It's not a sledgehammer. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it, and there are people out there wielding sledgehammers and I'm grateful for them. You know, I am, I'm am grateful that they have sledgehammers. That's not my weapon of choice. Not my tool of choice. Um, and I think it takes all the people who know how to use all the tools to build a community. And I think we have to be, we have to acknowledge that those people are there for a
2: reason. Absolutely agreed. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think we've glorified the sledgehammer yeah. for so long, right? Yeah. Oh, it has yeah. a purpose. It can tear down, you know, it, it breaks down a barrier, and then we can go in and do the work. Um, but if you only have a sledgehammer, you can only swing that thing so long. <laughs> You're yeah. tired and smack yourself in the leg or some shit. Yeah. Right? Where do you
1: see Climb United going oh. from where you are
2: now? To the moon. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's it's got a lot it's got a lot it's gonna do um you know we purposely made the choice to come out with the route name task force and the principles and guidelines because we had to show up with something right bold,
1: bold first
2: move yeah I, we had a sledgehammer right yeah our way into um, showing folks that we mean that we want to do something you know if we if we showed up and said here are our plans it's like cool cool you got some ideas good job, put a lot of time into thinking about stuff, but aren't doing shit. So we want to come out out of the gate. We're going to start convening um, organizations and brands. Uh, We were on um, on a call with, you know, some companies that would generally by the public be seen as competing organizations. And they said, this is our time to be provocative. If we can join around diversity, if we can join around these conversations of inclusivity and actually do the work, and that gets people thinking, like, wow, these are you know these folks don't usually work together. Um, we have a lot of you know ways we want to show up in these spaces and hold um, forums and show up at events, work on this, and I know this is taking some like kind of public heat. The idea of like a code of conduct, but it it is very analogous to to leave no trace principles, right? It's it's simply a way to show folks. Well, I don't want to talk a whole lot about it because we're still in the very early stages. Sure, sure. But it's just kind of like how we treat one another. And And I think
1: every community, every successful community, however you define success, has to have a code of conduct amongst its community members, whether written or unwritten, it's there. And climbing has exploded the last few years. And that that code of conduct isn't easily transferable through Instagram posts totally. and through TikTok. Uh exactly. So there there needs to be someone laying out these guidelines for for people, you know, we have gym to crag etiquette classes that are lauded and you know every gym wants to have one. Every gym should have a community conduct class as well
2: Well, and and we have i feel like as a community we have these kind of like this code of conduct already yeah it's existed since day one ground up ethics hand drills only right i mean there, like, depending on what area you're in, there's, there's ways to develop. There's, there's just these certain practices we use. If this is a yabo start, if this is a sit start, if this, you know, however you're supposed to start a boulder problem or like the line has to be climbed straight up, you can't diverge right even a little bit. Uh, right, all right. this stuff, right? We've lived <clears throat> by this. Yet, whenever it becomes a way how we treat one another, all of a sudden it's like, oh, holy shit. What are we talking about here? Yeah. We are subversive. We don't stand to rules. Like we live by a lot of rules. Well, I In think, every aspect. I of think society. what's so
1: interesting is that you said these companies came together and said now's our time to be provocative. And I've seen so many comments on the internet about this is counterculture. We are counterculture. We won't stand for this. You know, we're here because we want it to be provocative. We don't want it to be, you know, vanilla all the way across and I'm like you're being provoked that's that's what provocative is exactly. how are you not seeing that this this is punk rock this is Thank you yes this is going against the grain you yep. know how can you not see that if you're
2: getting upset about it Yup.
0: <laughs> you <know>? Oh man. <laughs>
2: I was I was in punk rock bands growing up and recorded albums, played shows in Portland. And our drummer one time, we, you know like every good band, we cycled through drummers like crazy. <laughs> and, and he yeah. showed up to practice one time in an Abercrombie & Fitch t-shirt. We're like, what the fuck is wrong with you? We're like getting all pissed off. And he, he He's was like, like, exactly. Exactly right. He was like, this is the most punk rock thing I could do because it pissed you all off. <laughs>
1: well played. Yeah that's how it feels to me and I am I'm so happy that Climb United exists that there are people taking on this fucking impossible work you know and I don't say impossible because it's not possible to get there I say impossible because that's how it feels at first yeah how many times have we walked up to a boulder problem try to move and said that's impossible and then a week later, a month later, sometimes two tries later, we do the damn thing. Exactly. You know? As climbers, we react to impossible by leaning into it, by trying it. And this this thing that Climb United is tackling f- seems impossible. And I think we have to lean into it. And I'm glad you're out there i'm glad the other people in climb united are out there i'm glad all the people with the sledgehammers on instagram are out there leaning into impossible um, Same. you you and this group are an important tool in that toolbox
2: so thanks for for being there and for doing it uh, well thank you for for the kind words the encouragement for being part of this whole thing right this when people ask, like, how climbing United came to be, in my mind, it's 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 existed for a long, long, long time, right? Because of that punk rock ethos of we can always find ways to push that provocative edge. We could find ways to to push culture a little bit more, and it just it never had a name, right? Sorry, like that that kind of like collective thought, that collective mm-hmm, right, energy. But right. you know, as a club, they said, let's give it a name. Let's give it some. Let's give it some funding. Uh, let's give it some energy and and i love it because yeah it it feels impossible and that's the that's the greatest fucking thing in the world because if i walked into something that was easy like this is i don't want to do this anyone can do this this is this should already be done right but like this it's like there's something about it like you just said you know you walk up to a problem to that first you can't even start the damn thing right and then you just go hard at it and like i have the dumbest motto in this but it's try hard and then try harder but second, yeah. it feels impossible. I'm not trying hard enough and I'm not thinking critically enough, I'm not asking the right questions. I'm not talking to the right people. I'm not looking at all views of it. Um, and, and that's really exciting because, you know, the community gets to benefit from from all this collective energy that's existed for so long. And in the past couple of years, you know, so many organizations and individuals out there and affinity groups and, and nonprofits, they've been asking for this they've been asking for something to happen at a national level. And, and, you know, we're certainly not doing anything new. We're not recreating anything. We're not coming in as saviors who are, have all these new ideas. We're just convening folks and gathering folks around things that have already been happening. Um, and trying to pave, you know, some sort of path into those spaces where it can be harder to find your way in, um, if you're not, don't fit the dominant culture, right? You and I both have a, a
1: great friend named May Ratz. Yeah, yeah. Um, And May likes to say, "Nervous means do it," and I I live by that motto. Yeah, same. And I'm glad you're following it up with try hard and try harder. I think I think that's an important part of that equation. So.
2: Yeah, I, I, I appreciate that. And I, I appreciate the chance to bring May up. <laughs> um, I, I do it as often as I can. You know, she's... she's I have not known her long. And she is one of the most courageous humans I've ever had the privilege to know. No and, question. And, you know, oftentimes going into these conversations, I would love to be stoic. I would love to be a ninja. I'm nervous as fuck Yeah, yeah. In, in a lot of these spaces where people are like, you know, entering into it. Knowing that we are not just at odds, but they think you know what I'm doing is dumb, and what the club is doing is divisive, and we shouldn't do it. You know that's not an easy conversation to walk into, but it's the right one because yeah. I'm nervous about it, and and something's gonna come of that, and and it's not changing minds, and hopefully it could be changing hearts a little bit, um, but it's 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 getting. A view into a thought pattern and an ideology that that has created a need for this work. And if we don't give that space, as hard as it is, then then we're just you know yelling at walls and we're not actually doing anything mm-hmm. that is a counterculture that is pushing that that transformative um, you know momentum that we need.
1: Yeah. Well, Cody, I appreciate you taking the time out of your day. I know it's, it's a busy week in Salt Lake City. Yeah, know? yeah. World Cups. <laughs> yeah. So so thank you so much for sitting down and, and talking through things with us.
2: No, thank you both. You, you didn't have to make the time, didn't have to stop through. I appreciate that you did. It means a lot that you're, uh, you're engaging this way and that you're leaning in with us. The evening after
1: this interview, Mario and I went to a BIPOC meetup at the front uh, that Cody was hosting, and I had the opportunity to watch Cody move around the room from group to group, and every single group of climbers that he walked over to within seconds would be beaming, and it was a beautiful thing to watch. Cody doesn't just talk about the things he believes in. He He's passionate about actually doing something, doing the work, and he's a leader. And that was easy to see, watching him move around this room, make people feel beyond comfortable, make them feel wanted and needed in this space that they were in. And I feel so fortunate to have been able to watch him at work and to sit down with him for this conversation. So Cody, thank you. Um, Hopefully I see you again soon in Lander, Wyoming. You never did come back for that cereal party, but we're going to hold you to it. You all can find links to Cody and to Climb United. Right there in the show notes in your pocket supercomputers. I'll also include a link to the video that we mention. I'll include links to Cody's podcast, Wilder Mind. You can find us at powercompanyclimbing.com. You can find us on the Instagrams, the Facebooks, the Pinterests, all those places at Power Company Climbing. I'm sure the American Alpine Club would love to hear from you on Twitter. We would too, but we won't because we don't tweet. We Scream, Mike Eagles.
0: This time, this this time, this time, this time, this time, this time, this time,